It is episode 26, and we have a great guy in fraud today. Alexander Hall and I met via, you guessed it, LinkedIn. He was posting some great content, and we have a lot of shared connections, so I took a deeper dive into his background. He is a reformed fraudster. What was his path to becoming reformed? Why is it that only two reformed fraudsters on Great Women in Fraud are men? I do have a female pink-collar criminal coming, so stay tuned. I asked Alexander to come on the show because he posted about his view on money. I think his daughter will be proud he is a guest on Great Women in Fraud today. There are some listeners out there who might not like giving oxygen to a reformed fraudster. This is where you decide if you want to listen or not. I personally learn from everyone and I want to know the reasons they got started and quit. Also, I love checklists, but I never thought of a fraudster liking checklists. I found this pretty fascinating. Let's get started. We are here today with, um, I'm going to say a great man in fraud, (laughs) Alexander Hall, who is a reformed fraudster, but he's a little bit different than um, like Tom Hughes in the past. He's more on, I'm going to say the um, e-commerce, card not present, the, this, I would say scarier type of fraud for me because embezzlement is just money here, money there. Whereas this type of fraud is, oh my God, you're hundreds of hours trying to get your identity back. But Alexander, I want you to explain in your terms, and you've got great terms, your background and how you've become reformed. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> um, well, first off, uh, it was about 14 years ago now. Um, and I started off, uh, I was introduced to fraud through drugs. Drugs is how a lot of people in Las Vegas, the, the, the gray area between drugs and fraud gets muddled. So, um, when I found out how easy it was to make some money, that's what I, that's what I got into. So I did that started off by doing the low level things like buying stolen information on the web, on the dark net and or the dark web, and then filling in the blanks of these checkout forms by following these, um, the checkout, the, by following the cartable sites lists that are available on the dark web. Um, you know, there's good success there. It's nothing. There's nothing really wrong with that, with the, from a fraudster's perspective, because you can always buy a hundred numbers and do it again. But quickly, I realized that that just wasn't for me. Having stuff shipped to where you're going, having to constantly look for new houses, um, the risk, the success rate, all these different things compiled to just tell me that this was not worth my time. So I quickly moved on from there um, to more sophisticated uh, methods in my eyes, and then controlled data. So I would work with these drug dealers and the drug addicts as well as low level, what I call street level uh, criminals in order to go collect information that wasn't then sold on the dark web. It was information that was then just compiled within my operation. So I'd have access to all this information and then I'd learn how to leverage it between payment information, identity information and system knowledge, the three core pillars of, of, a, of an effective fraudsters operation. Uh, you learn where to use what information. And, and when it comes to that, that's when a whole range of methods get become it becomes fruitful because uh, knowing that you can generate a credit card number and go use it over here, but it won't work over there. Well, that that's fine. You're learning that it doesn't work, but now you know that you need to use more sophisticated numbers, more more fleshed out uh, pieces of payment information. So that continued and continued, and then uh, at the end of at the end of my career. Um, or what brought forth the end of my criminal career was um, my wife and I finding out that we were pregnant with my first daughter. uh, Well, my only daughter. And then um, 
my wife laid down the law. She said, look, clean up your act, uh, turn yourself in on your outstanding charges, none of which were for fraud. This, this was for drug charges. Uh, turn yourself in, clean up your act, uh, be a dad, be a husband, let's go. So I did just that. And um, yeah, that was that was in 2017. And then 2018, I started my first gig in fraud prevention. Um, my first six months of operation were worth $1.2 million to the company I worked for. Uh, and then, uh, well, then COVID hit in, in, in March, my, uh, March of 2020, my position was eliminated. And I've been busting butt for dispute defense ever since. That's awesome. Yeah, COVID has affected all of us so much, but I wouldn't have thought, yeah, um, any industry can be affected, including fraud prevention. I mean, absolutely fraud prevention. So, and we had messaged each other before on LinkedIn about money. And that's kind of what I, I wanted to talk to you about money and how it affected um, you. And like, there's a guy, Nathan Mueller, who uh, grew up and he always felt poor. Did you grow up feeling poor? Like what, what is your, what is your thoughts about money? Uh, actually my mom did pretty well whenever we were kids. She, she was, she worked in the medical industry. She was okay. Um, but she was gone a lot of the time, which is the typical story. So, uh, I didn't feel poor. Like we lived in a nice house and we had a big TV, you know, like all these standard stuff. Um, so I didn't feel poor, but uh, due to the disconnect of, of a, I assume it was like emotional disconnect and stuff like that. That's what drove me out of the house and into more, you know, party lifestyle ways. I'm, I, that's how I feel, at least. Um, so, no, to answer your question, money did not uh, did not play a vital part. The, the I'm sorry, the pursuit of money did not play a vital part in my in my early development. Um, but. <laughs> saying that it quickly did because as soon as I left the house and left the security of my house and was no longer allowed to go to my house where my mom was, uh, that's when drugs and money and, and, and everything really, really took hold. And, and we started to run like that. Well, and then this goes, this is the whole fraud and money psychology of it is that when you have to have money, you'll do a lot to get it. But now that, now that you are reformed, do you think you have a different relationship with money? Yes. And for multiple, multiple reasons. So uh, to your point, uh, the amount of work that you'll put into getting money, getting resources. So if you consider your most basic resources while operating as a fraudster or a drug dealer or whatever it was, um, depending on what time you look at, um, you, you know, you need food, you need drugs, you need cigarettes, you need gas, you need all this stuff. So when I was, when I had, uh, noticed that I was just good at fraud, right? I figured out how to handle all of those resources all of the time without money, right? So I figured out how to get a lot of those things with simple math, literal math on paper. It's called generating credit card numbers. Math as a payment method is what I call it. Um, and uh, by handling all your resources, then you have more time to actually go make money. So when you make money, easy come, easy go. So that's definitely true. Um, but what was missing from all of that was an actual sense of purpose, you know, and that's, that's one thing that uh, is different now. So now 
uh, I know that, that when my daughter's old enough to have an opinion of me, you know, she'll have an opinion that daddy does good things. You know, when my wife, when we talk about, when we talk to each other and, you know, and we're, we're just having a conversation, we can both be proud of each other for all the steps that we've taken in the life that we left behind. That is stuff that quite literally you can't buy, right? No matter how much money you have, you can't buy those conversations and have them be true. Uh, but then secondarily, now that I'm a, a father to four, my, I, we have, I have three stepsons, amazing stepsons, um, and my baby and my wife now, um, you know, money, it's more static, you know, coming in nowadays, but there's also more responsibilities that aren't being taken care of through fraud. So now you, in your pocket, you have left m- less money, but at the end of the day, you feel a lot more uh, successful and, and that you've, you're contributing to a cause, you're responsible, um, you're holding it down. And that's something you can't do during fraud days with, with, with cops kicking in your door, drugs all over the place, and the risk of going to prison for 20 years at, at any given time. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my whole evaluation of money then, money now, and how I feel. Well, yeah, it's kind of like I've always liked being an employee and getting a paycheck every two weeks, and I just knew it would be there. But now that I'm a solopreneur, um, every time I get a check, I appreciate it more. And and it's just it's this weird sort of um, I I don't like to be entrepreneurial. I, I like I like steady paychecks. But now that I am entrepreneurial, when I do get a check, I'm more appreciative. Does that yeah. make sense? Oh, 100%. When I sent my first when I sent my first invoice and I got the the email saying that the the pay me button has been clicked and and all that stuff, I was running around the house jumping with joy, but then I immediately <laughs> realized like that's going to a cell phone bill. <laughs> so no, I totally feel you. Uh there's there's a sense of of spotted income. It, it's going to happen for people like us. Um but you know, it's still awesome nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and you can tell your daughter that you are a guest on Great Women in Fraud. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, especially on this day of all days. Yeah. International Women's Day, we are taping this. So that's like awesome. Um, I don't think I double checked. I've been doing so much research. If you were going to write a book, what would it be about? Uh, so I've already started that book, actually. Uh, oh, and- awesome. Tell us. So um, it's not very far in production. It's just a spider, a a skeleton, I mean. Uh, But it's about, um, uh, so I need it to be, I'm trying to be storytelling. So I want it to be about my history, the events that I can remember, um, exactly how deep the operations ran, how dangerous it actually was. Uh, Thankfully, I'm still here, but there there were countless situations where guns were being pointed at people knives were out cars were on fire just crazy stuff um so there's a lot of excitement that goes along with it um but that's not the intent behind what i intend to publish that's going to be a fun thing so I'll, i'll do that but my second book is intended to outline exactly what went into these operations exactly what the mindsets are because um as our friend carice says often uh you gotta think like a fraudster in order to beat a fraudster so my second release is going to kind of piggyback off the first uh entertainment one to actually really dive into the psychology that that at least i experienced you know i can't speak for everybody but i can speak for myself uh 
and, and, and really go into a way to be something that, that, that business owners, fraud fighters alike can pick up and, and develop a better understanding of what life was like for a fraudster. One, one simple thing, one example that I'll give you is that a lot of people have this mindset where fraudsters spend all day doing this one single transaction. We got this one transaction we're going to do. We got this card information. We're going to sit here and do this. No. That one transaction that you that you stopped from entering that company, that e-commerce you know shop, right? That was one out of probably a hundred transactions that were put through because we, uh, as uh, you know, as fraudsters, didn't mind putting through failing uh, transactions. That was part of our checklist building system. We would do, you know, check and balance. We do checklist uh, uh, variables, sets of variables and stuff like that. We would see what works, see what doesn't work, build a game plan until we can have a high success rate. So that's one thing that really should be, in my opinion, needs to be understood is that it's not just one transaction that went through and didn't go through. There's 50. How many of them did you catch? And that's what we need to be paying attention to. Well, and we talked about this beginning, um, Atul Gawande's book, The Checklist Manifesto, and I can see the checklist manifesto for fraudsters. And, you know, and using that checklist, I mean, people, fraud is big, big business, really, really big business, but people don't necessarily maybe see it as a business and being organized, but here I'm going online and I'm seeing you're all about checklists. And I'm like, wow, that's impressive because I'm thinking that, you know, the fraudsters are just hanging out and they're kind of like, Oh, let's try this. But no, there's, there's methodologies and all sorts of stuff. It's a business. hundred percent. Yeah. That's, uh, the one thing that set me apart from a lot of the other people that were operating is they were happy with the success rate of these, like I, like I call them the low level buy stolen information, fill in the blank with the cardable sites list instructions, VPN, this socks, that card bin dump, this, that, whatever it is. Uh, they're happy with that level of success. Well, to me, that's, that's, that's garbage. Like when you, when you want to move up from that, you need to start experimenting with new new methods entirely, new new ways to get value. That's where the transfer of value comes from. More more ways. So the problem is that I've assessed since coming over here is we have a great idea of what hundreds of thousands of fraudsters are participating in, like hundreds of thousands, which is valuable. Don't get me wrong. But the people who are still operating and have been for 15 years You've got to start opening your eyes to that potential and 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 figure out what it looks like because not all fraud results in a chargeback, you know. Not all fraud results in in um in a in a data point in something that can be stopped by data point transaction analysis. Uh, there's a lot of curveballs out there, and it's stuff that I've been doing for seven years. Like this is nothing new, and I'd love to help everybody get a thorough understanding of what I used to do so that they can see how it stands to affect them and their operations. Well, then this goes to kind of, um, <laughs> it's different because usually we don't have fraudsters, reform fraudsters on the show. Um, what are the best resources that have helped you along the way? I imagine your Google search history back then is a little different than your Google search history now. So I would love to answer that question, but unfortunately I haven't, uh, because I'm on probation, uh, I stay away from everything fraud related. Uh, I would love to follow in the, uh, in the, 
the footsteps of, of I think his name was Chase Park, uh, who goes and researches the dark web things and goes and sees what new tactics are being advertised as fraud as a service. Um, but because of me being on probation, my PO can show up at any point in time, check my history here, check my Facebook there, check all this stuff. And if he sees searches for this and this and this and this, that's a bunch of questions I'm going to have to answer. So until I expire and get off paper, um, I'm actually not doing any research. Everything that I'm writing about comes comes straight from memory. Okay, interesting. Um, again, this is just such a fun question to ask someone on the different side of it, of fraud fighting. Now you're on the fraud fighting side. What's one common myth about you know your previous profession that you want to debunk? Uh, okay, it is, it's a stigma for people in my position. So a lot of the, the the stereotype, the consideration is that people would be afraid to hire an ex-fraudster because what if we hire this ex-fraudster and he goes back to fraud? Oh my God, what a horrible, and you're right. That'd be a horrible thing. And that's a good fear to have. But when it comes to someone like, uh, sorry to say, I don't want to sound like some big shot guy, but when it comes to someone like me, at the end of my career, I didn't need stolen information to do any of the most reliable methods that I employed. I didn't have to have stolen identity information. I didn't need stolen card information. When I point out math as a payment method, I literally mean a card that is in my name from my wallet. No, you can't see it. Sorry. Uh, my card, right? On paper, generate numbers. Now I have a bunch of stolen numbers that I didn't need to steal from anywhere. I literally wrote them down. Now I go somewhere that only that that it has such a weak fraud prevention that um, that I can use generated card numbers who don't have CVV, don't have billing, don't have identity information. It's just the card number and an expiration date in the future. That right there is enough to make more than two hundred thousand dollars a year, and 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 the stigma that an ex fraudster is going to come work for a company and steal their information and jeopardize it and all that stuff for someone like me, that's an insult because that means that <laughs> I'm going to take all of this risk when I don't need it, jump back into that world, risk my position and risk imprisonment at a higher rate than I did back when I was operating. So that's one, one stereotype that I feel should be, um, evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis. Ex-fraudsters are not desti destined to steal your information. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so then, <laughs> uh, do you have anyone from your, I'm going to say past life, who sees how you've, you know, morphed into consulting and stopping fraud, who says, can you help me out? I want to, I want to, I want to go to the, the light side or, you know, do you have some of your old buddies who are like, can I do what you do? Can you help me get out of this? So I, I have one, I only speak to one person from my past again, because of my probation, I got rid of all of my acquaintances. I don't talk to, I don't speak with anybody from my past, especially in the fraud. But uh, as far as drugs, my drug life, went back in the day when drugs was a priority um there's one person who i speak with and yeah i told him i said uh he's cleaned up now uh he's doing construction gig he's making good money but i said hey once things pick up you know what we used to do 
uh, like from an outsider's perspective, he he was a, he was around for a lot of the operations. I said, yo, if you want to come over, let me know. And he's just waiting for that day. So to answer your question, out of the one person I speak to, that one person, yes, wants to wants to uh, wants to help with the operations. Yeah, that's great. That's see, you're a mentor. That is, you know, and this is what great women in fraud is all about: is mentoring other people. So I, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Um, uh, if, again, these questions are just so different from what, you know, the regular guests are, but I'm honored that you would do this is like, if you could work in a different job field, what would it be? Like, did you ever have dreams of like, I don't know, being an architect or something like that? Uh, it was always musician. Uh, I wanted to be a musician, whether it was a rock star, whether I was just some guitarist over here, uh, it was always music. And then because of drugs and fraud and, and the, the, the demand on time that that all took, uh, I, I lost, I lost a lot of my musicianship. So now, uh, like I, like I, like I told you before we started recording, uh, my wife and I are planning on getting ACD finished this year. And it's going to be somewhere between the lines of death metal tool and classical opera. And it's man, it's, uh, we're super excited to get this thing done, but, uh, to answer your question, I'd love to be a rock star, but <laughs> that is awesome. That, and I cannot wait. I will be first in line to buy it. Absolutely. First in line to buy it. So that awesome. is, that is great. Um, is there someone you look up to in this field? So it's it's important. The answer is yes, in different ways because there's there's a, there's a split personality thing happening here. So, like I mentioned in our call before, there's the Frank Abagnales and the Brett Johnsons of the world. Um, not of the world. There's the Frank Abagnale and Brett Johnson. <laughs> uh, and when it comes to them, you know, it, it gave me a lot of uh, inspiration to see what can come after after the dark coming into the light and what it can hold, right? So there's that. Then, but then there's also the split personality of the other personality, which is like, how do I make an how how do I make an impact in fraud prevention rather than just being um, an interest like a like an entertainment story, like oh this guy did some crazy stuff. How do I actually have an impact over here that's 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 what i'm focused on now um or what i aim to focus on and for people like that i think that you know carice is doing an awesome job you're doing an amazing job uh there's there's several people that are in my feed that that are really um constantly putting out this information they're not simply chasing trends or simply uh selling stuff it's like all of your posts are like, hey, you should be aware of this. And then you move on to the next one. You should be aware of this. You move on to the next one. It's it's just a continuing cycle of information. Uh, so I'd love to be, you know, uh, I'd love to follow in the footsteps of the trail you guys blazed, um, but just bring my own spin into it. So that way I can cover this side of it while you're covering this side. And yeah, so there's a lot of inspiration that I have, a lot of uh, inspirational people that I have. Thank and you're you. one of them. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. And the whole uh, hashtag sharing is caring because I do get a lot of people who ask questions about identity theft. We also had a guest recently, Carrie Kursky, on about identity theft. And it's it's not my wheelhouse. As I told you before, when I worked at the sheriff's office, I wanted to work embezzlement cases because they were easy. It's like low-hanging fruit. Whereas when I would get like this big, complex identity theft cases, I was chasing ghosts and it was whack-a-mole and I had a really hard time with it. And I just, 
my brain didn't go that way. So I need to be able to have resources. And I, I think we've created a great anti-fraud community. And, and, and we're not hoarding information. I do not believe in hoarding information. So, um, yeah. Uh, and there's lots of people out there who love to hoard information, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> um, so another thing that we talked about earlier is we talked a little bit about the gender divide. And, um, you know, people think pink collar crime is about women and it's not, it's position, not gender. But you had an interesting take on gender is that women provided information. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, so in, in your operation or in an operation, there's, there's, there's how you get information. That's, that's the first step. If, if you're going down that path, employing these methods, you need to get the stolen information. So now I quickly abandoned the dark web because I just, it just wasn't worth my time. You can easily get more information by sourcing it locally. And then you have full control of that. Well, in order to do that, like I said earlier, you, you hear that um, uh, drug addicts um, are being leveraged in order to get information. Uh, they'll even sell their own information. So maybe someone is a drug addict who has a clean credit history, who hasn't yet taken advantage of bank accounts and, and other credit lines and stuff like that. So they'll sell their, their information for a 20 sack. And now you've got this to play with. You can go experiment with this, this, this you know, uh, empty credit thing, this, this empty credit identity. So there's that example. Another example is, is whenever, uh, you know, the street level guys will go break into cars, houses, whatever, steal safes, and they'll go break into real estate um, mortgage companies and steal the credit applications or the, the loan applications and all that. Then after that, you have people that actually work in these industries who are willing to give you mortgage information, willing to give you doctor office information, stuff like that. Now, as far as gender playing into all of this, in my experience, and again, all of my experience was all local to me, it was all you know people I physically rubbed elbows with. Um, what I saw was that males typically ran the operations, females provided information either for the trade of drugs or for the promise of being paid once something kicked off. Um, yeah, you, you rarely saw females at the head of an operation, uh, but you. Uh, consistently, I'm not going to say more or less, but I'm going to say consistently saw females uh, being exploited either for information or uh, for their information. Yes. Okay. So just back, this is me being so incredibly ignorant and I'm going to say that my audience too, what's a 20 sack? I mean, I think I know what it oh, is. Or what, what's a 20 sack? <laughs> Uh, whatever $20 will buy you from whoever your seller is. So if you're buying meth, a 20 sack can weigh x it's just whatever 20 dollars is yeah so it's only worth 20 dollars yeah okay oh i'm so embarrassed okay okay i gotta i gotta get my little my lingo going there so um <laughs> now you said to me earlier that you just now watched catch me if you can yeah yeah a couple months ago yeah yeah and what and your thoughts about it so uh the the it was amazing to me how at the height of his criminal career, he had X information or X uh, uh, equipment, you know, all of this huge, robust equipment, like at the end of the movie, when you show up and he's got these, these things of the size of, uh, of buses, like in that, in that place, I was nuts. Um, to think that that was what it took in order to do quote unquote check fraud, like we have now nowadays, um, 
that's what it took back then and what it takes now i mean everyone has a laser jet or has an inkjet printer everybody has um access to an office depot um I won't go into too much detail, but effectively for $60, you can have his exact same operation. And that's, that's how much, that's how much difference there has been. So um, that was, it was, it was crazy to see that the operation that I was doing um, 10 years ago now, uh, a year or two into my operation um, successfully and, and thoroughly and, with probably just as much paper going through his thing. Um, it cost me 60 bucks. It cost him <laughs> however much millions of stolen equipment and stolen this and stolen that, as well as the requirement for all these elaborate identity things like changing into a doctor or into a lawyer, into a, a pilot, just all that crazy stuff. Um, and it worked great. Good job, man. You get props as a, you know, if, if I were still a fraudster, a fraud, one fraudster to another props, but Man, it's so much easier now. <laughs> and that's scary to even hear that it's so much easier. But yeah, the economies of scale have really, uh, you know, lessened the cost of doing it. And yeah. the, the, I don't want to say the rewards, but the payoffs, so much bigger these days. So much bigger these days. Yep, absolutely. There's a lot. So I, I can say this, there's definitely a big difference between walking into a bank and cashing a check or hand, like in his case, handing a check over to a hotel or or whatever it may be, uh, rather than just preemptively setting up a bank account that's going to match the future check that you're making this check into, depositing it through a mobile deposit app. Like that, 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 all this, this customer satisfaction and convenience uh, really just opens the door and perpetuates fraud. Uh, and that's, you got to be prepared for it. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the businesses and e-commerce, it's so concerned about friction. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we as consumers have just such limited patience where if something is like the, you get the spinning ball of death while you're waiting for the shopping cart to, you're just like, Oh, forget it. I'm just going to go to Amazon or, you know, um, so speaking of not to pick on Amazon, like, do you have, and you don't have to name the companies, but are there some companies out there that you're just like, they're just miles ahead of everyone else in fraud prevention? And what makes a company be miles ahead in fraud prevention besides hiring you? <laughs> uh, okay. So I have three answers for that, Sorry, but they, they, they apply in different ways. So uh, for physical in-person stuff, right? I think Walmart's um, Walmart is just, yeah, they're, they're, they were intimidating uh, for a very good stretch of time until they opened up new, new, uh, what, we, what I'm calling transfers of value that stood to be exploited. But for at least for in-store stuff, um, Walmart was really on point and a lot of people were afraid of them. Like anytime that I went to jail for like traffic stuff or whatever, there'd be 10 people in there locked up based on uh, Walmart's um, or 10 people that had experience with Walmart systems. So the system goes like this, uh, at least based on what everyone was telling me, I never personally experienced it, but what I've heard was um, they walk in, they, they steal something like a booster will go steal something and they'll leave. Okay. Well, someone will see that that took place and they'll go get the video clip or the screenshot and they'll, they'll write it down on this little worksheet. Then that same person will come back and steal another thing. And then they'll walk out and then they'll make a note of that. Cool. 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 Well, they build up this huge worksheet 
that at the end of it is enough to absolutely uh, press charges and win or, or whatever the term is, win, win a case. Um, so now that same person walks into the store one more time. And before they have a chance to do anything, they get scooped up thrown into the room, cops called, here's a flash drive with all the information, here's the worksheet, take them away, our lawyers, lawyers will handle the rest. That type of an approach for in-person things was intimidating to say the least, right? So there's, so there's that example. Um, another example was Best Buy. Whatever Best Buy is doing seems to be um, really good because there are several instances where uh, both with internal credit, like the um, the store issued credit was one uh, another one was was a brand new credit card and then uh as well as the operation where you steal credit card information and put it through there were there were there were some successes don't get me wrong but more often than not um it would make it through processing it would make it all the way through until it was just ready for pickup and then you get a notification that it was canceled and it was nuts like it didn't make any sense uh in relation to how everyone else works where when you make the transaction, it goes into their system, you get a confirmation email, and then the next day you get told, oh, this has been flagged, you need to prove your identity, or it's been canceled, you're burnt. Um, Best Buy was the system that stood out to me. It, it, it seemed to, um, they seemed to be able to stop it without stopping it at the at the onset, right? So it was, it was confusing to deal with. So confusing, in fact, that I just quit trying <laughs> early on. Uh, so there's those two. Uh, and the third thing is uh, more of an idea rather than a company to list. And that is for any fraud fighter out there, be aware that fraud stands to exist in every transfer of value. Now, a transfer of value is anywhere where someone can get something from you. So if that's store credit because they returned uh, a shoebox full of, of, of rocks, Okay, that's a transfer of value and that's a potential exploit. Your marketing depart department, buy one, get one for free, and someone goes and makes 50 emails to sign up for this one-time thing. Well, now your marketing department is is giving out this this um, this promotion, right, for more than they intended to do. Um, and countless others. Uh, when you establish a line of credit, either online or in store, the, the transfer of value there is just a person with stolen identity information getting money from you. You know, when you're cashing a check, you know, when you're doing this, when uh, in-store returns with receipts that are fake, like someone makes a fake receipt, but because your system doesn't actually do a cross-reference of other receipts and when it was issued, who it was issued to, or, or whether or not the item was even bought from you, that's another transfer value that stands to be exploited. And consider the difference between a hot dog vendor who only deals in cash for hot dogs and the corporate juggernaut Walmart lines of credit checks for payment, credit cards for payment, drop shipping, e-commerce, online, in-store retail, all this stuff, right? That's the third part. It's just understand where your vulnerabilities are and do something to fix them. So that's that's all three. <laughs> Sorry for ranting. No, that, that, that is awesome. So if you could tell just regular, you know, Joe Citizen or Jill Citizen, what what is the easiest thing you can do to protect yourself? Like, very easiest thing you can do. Like I say to business owners, mail a bank state, mail your bank statements home. What's the easiest thing Jill Citizen can do to protect themselves? Sign up for and monitor your credit. Point blank period. If if someone opens a bank account in your name, immediately be notified. If someone uh, it's it's important to understand that it's not just your information. So say you you bank with bank A B or you 
bank with bank A and uh, you have PayPal and you have Amazon, you have whatever, right? You, so you have this setup of accounts. Those aren't the only things that can be leveraged against your identity. Like if you go to another bank or a credit union, another financial institution over there and make an account using your identity, you need to be aware if that happens. You know, it's not just transfers and, and, and transactions out of your account. It's the creation of new accounts. You don't know what's happening. And with as easy as it is to get a hold of people's information, uh, if I had one piece of information or one, one, one suggestion to give to every single human on the planet, monitor your credit effectively. Now, however you choose to do that, I know there's a thousand options to go about doing that. I don't have a preference. But just make sure you're, you're you're watching your stuff and that you get a notification when things change. Okay, that is awesome. As someone who has been part of a breach, I do do that. So that's great to know that I'm somewhat proactive, maybe. Yeah. So hopefully. Awesome. Um, so, Alexander, uh, what haven't I asked you that you're like chomping at the bit to get out to the audience? Is there anything I haven't asked you that is just chomping at the bit to get out of the audience? I don't think so. This has been yeah. a lot of fun. As a matter of fact, I'm a little winded because I've been spewing and ranting so much. <laughs> but uh, no, if there's anything else, yeah, I'm, I'm all, yeah. Okay. Well, we will have links to connect to you online and I would highly recommend it. And again, like to the audience, we can't just look quote at people like us. We need to look at people with other experiences. And that's why I like to bring people like you on the show, because if we're just looking at people like us, we're not going to learn. hundred percent. It's, it's important to, to, to back that up. The important thing is this, um, to all the fraud fighters out there, um, you are actively attempting to, to create a shield against a fraudster's sword, you know? So as an effective fraudster, you know, in a past life, I'm here telling you <laughs> what to be, what, what kind of a defense you should be building and where you should look for these soft spots. Uh, I'm definitely not, not the best there ever was. I'm not, but I'm the one who's here now and I'm giving you what the information that I can give you leverage it, take it, hit me up and ask me some questions. If you want to know about some specific operations, you know, anybody can ask me directly, but, uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend taking this information and, and putting action behind it. Yeah, so well, 100%. And one, la one last thing I have is that I think a lot of people think that like these sort of, I'm going to say, um, dark fraudsters are like all over in Eastern Europe. And your proof that it, it isn't a bunch of ghosts over in Eastern Europe hacking our computers. It's people in our communities that are doing this type of work. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. It's every, it's, yeah, to, to, there are, okay. So yeah, it's important to understand there are zero limitations on fraudsters. Zero, there's zero. Whether you, if you define a piece of fraud and that's what a, a company decides to focus on, that's great, but understand that's just one piece of the fraud puzzle. Like there's fraud everywhere. And now you've got good customers committing fraud through like the friendly fraud and the chargebacks, the marketing abuse, the policy abuse and all this stuff where they're not fraudsters per se, but your company still bad dishonest practices are still costing your company money. So if you want to define it so that they're nice people doing bad things versus bad people doing bad things, you're still losing money. I don't know what to tell you. 
Um, so that, that's one example, and that's regarding the definition of fraud. As far as the locality and geography of fraud, no, it's everywhere. And everywhere that you think it is, there's a better chance that if they're doing some low-level fill-in-the-blank BS from the dark web, they just have a VPN coming from another country. Blah. Now... I will say that that based on what I've seen, there's a lot more the likelihood of an established operation with a call center full of a hundred scammers. I didn't personally encounter that ever in my operation, so maybe that concept, you'll, it's more likely to be overseas or somewhere over there. Fine, cool, great, but don't ever think that by limiting your your understanding or definition of fraud, you're doing anybody any favors. You're not. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we we just we don't want to think it's in our hood. We just don't want to think it's in our hood, and but it is. So yeah. To that point, consider. So I, I gave this story about how the houses used to get stolen, stealing houses, right? And I gave that example. It's not like we're going to go steal houses down in the slums. <laughs> if I'm going to get in trouble for stealing a house, I'm stealing a nice house. <laughs> Oh, I went and I did a thing with a real estate professionals last year. And, you know, I came as the embezzlement expert. And by the end of the conference, I'm just like, I, I'm contacting my attorney. And it's like, I, I can't have this title fraud happen to me. Like it can happen. And it was, you know, so here I went as the expert and I actually came back with even more information where I could protect myself more. So, awesome. yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to steal the, you know, I'm going to say the crappy, you know, duplex in the hood, you're going to steal the nice house on the lake. So yeah, yeah. because who wants to, where do you want to live? Nice house on the lake, crappy duplex in the hood. So yeah, it's, it's as simple as that. Well, Alexander, I want to thank you so, so much for coming on. And like I said to the audience, this is really important to hear from all parts of the fraud world. So thank you very, very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, what did you think? Do you like listening to Reformed Fraudsters? Should I plan to have more Reformed Fraudsters on the podcast? Do you learn from them? What do you learn from them? The thing about a Reformed Fraudster is you have to give them a bit of credit for being public with their story. We don't get the whole story, I know, but you might get more than with some, quote, honest people. Please let me know what you think and what I should include in future episodes. Thank you so much for listening. And as a teaser for next week, we have Mary Eastwood Jones from Across the Pond, and I will tell you, she is amazing. She only knows five languages. Her dad knew 11. You're going to love the episode.